0: Well, good morning. I don't know how, how it is for you, but on mornings like this, it can just be a little bit difficult at times, right, to just be able to kind of engage and, and really uh, focus on mornings that just feels like it, it's just kind of crazy out there, or, or maybe it's weather related, whatever it is, I just want to take a moment to just pray again. Asking that the Lord would focus us. Asking that he would show up. I I don't know what your week's been like, uh, but I know some of us are excited and some of us are just tired. I just want us to just allow the Lord to work this morning. So let's pray. Let's pray again, just asking that he would move. Father, we come in here this morning. Lord, as we just even look around and we see the Uh, pictures of what you have declared in your word on the windows as we see the vaulted ceilings and uh, it pointing us heavenward, as we see the picture of Jesus in front of us reminding us that he is our Savior. Father, we come in here this morning as broken, weak vessels in need of you. God, I know that I need you this morning. Would you remind us of this, God? Would you speak to us? Would you allow your word to just drive deep into our hearts this morning as we continue to allow uh, your word to just uh, shape us and form us more into your image? Spirit, would you work in greater ways than what we could imagine? Uh, Would you... Just open our eyes and expose us to truth. And may we be hungry for that truth this morning. In your son's precious name, amen. Well, I want to start off, before we dive into our passage this morning, I want to start off with two things. Number one, happy birthday. I'm not sure many of us realize, but this weekend, nine years ago, is when this church started. Nine years ago of God's faithfulness, as I I was recounting, I've only been here for seven of those nine years, but as I was just recounting, even in the time that, that God has brought my family here and allowed us to minister here, we've seen 14 people come to faith in Jesus, get in the water, and declare that they want to follow Jesus Christ. We've seen over 25 of us gather together as a committed membership to say, this is our home, and we want to be a part of what God's doing. We've shared the good news of Jesus Christ uh, well over hundreds, maybe even thousands of times across our valley. And now we are in a position where we are hoping to raise up our very own new church leader to send them out in the next year or two to see other churches like this started. Guys, I just want to say most churches like this last five years. And by God's grace, we've almost doubled that. That's nothing that we can uh, brag about that is solely the grace of the Lord. And so I just want to say, praise be the name of the Lord, that we can come in and we can hear God's word each and every week. And secondly, this week I had an opportunity to partner and to attend a conference with other churches who either are like us, they've started in the last 10 years, or they are churches wanting to start churches like us. And so uh, if you're not familiar, we're part of a greater denomination called the Great Commission Baptists. And, and within that, there's about forty to 50,000 churches. Not people, churches across our country. And within that uh, large canopy, we kind of have a narrow lane that we filter through and, and kind of drive on, and that's called the Pillar Network. And that's where about uh, 500 church leaders this past week came together to pray, to seek the Lord, and then to just form relationships where we might hopefully partner. And and I just got to say, as your pastor, I come back rejoicing in those relationships. I was able to form probably over 10 different relationships with new churches and, and just thinking of ways that we can link arms together, pray for one another, and by God's grace, potentially partner in the future. And so, thank you if you are praying for our trip this week for that conference. And I just want to praise the Lord for what God has done through that conference. Now, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 16 and 17 this morning. And our passage this morning is monumental to the very reason why we are here today. There are certain situations in life that really just kind of change the course and trajectory of your life that have an enormous amount of power to really shape who you are. For me, that happened my junior year of college. I grew up going to church. I grew up going to Sunday morning. When I was little, they had Sunday night. I grew up Wednesday night. I grew up going to a Christian school, had all of the answers, yet no love for Jesus Christ. You see, all I wanted was fire insurance to stay out of hell. And there's no love for Jesus Christ. It wasn't until my junior year of college when uh, I was living in an apartment With three other guys, and every week, uh, I would get off of work about nine, and they had a Bible study that started at eight o'clock, and so I'd kind of slip in, and they would invite me. No, like, if you're like an hour late, like, I'm not one to show up to that. And so every week, I said, no, no, no. Finally, one week, fine, I'll go. And I hung out with them, and for the first time in my life, I experienced a different kind of relationship with people that I'd ever experienced before. And so then my, my life and work schedule kind of changed, and so uh, by God's grace, I started joining this group, and they're going through a book called Desiring God. Any of you ever heard of that book before? Yeah, right? So if you knew me at that time, I had not read a book in eight years. There was a wonderful thing that came out on the internet when I made it to high school. It was called gradesaver.com, and it, it took all these books and compiled it into like a short summary I hated reading, and yet they were going through this book. And so instead of buying something I didn't want to own, I went to the computer lab, found a free copy, and every week I would read another chapter. I remember reading the book thinking, man, this guy is so boring, because all he's saying is, is your money should be about God. Well, duh. And then the next week, hey, your family should be about God. Well, well, yeah. Like, your work should be about God. I'm like, come on, you can really make money doing that? And finally, it was like, your entire life should be about God. And that's when it dropped. You see, none of my life was about God. It was through that that the Lord radically rescued me from darkness and brought me into a relationship with Jesus, and it changed the trajectory of my life. I mean, if you know me now, I love to read. Just that alone has changed me, but it set me from, from on the path to hell to the path to eternal life with Jesus Christ. You know, a similar thing happened to a German monk 500 years ago. His name was Martin Luther. If you've ever heard of Martin Luther, he was a man who was studying law. And one day he was walking when he was struck by lightning. Now if you've ever been struck by lightning and lived, that kind of gets your attention, doesn't it? And so it got Luther's attention and he said, fine, God, I'm going to live for you, whatever you want. And so he uh, decided to join a monastery and become a monk. And through that, he's reading the Bible and he notices something. He notices that he is a wicked man and he has no hope of eternal life. He has no hope of a relationship with Jesus. And so he does everything he can to make himself right with God. They say he actually went to Rome. And in in Rome you see the, the head of the Catholic Church. And they say in Rome that there's these stairs that were transported from Jerusalem. The very stairs that Jesus walked up. In his trial before Pontius Pilate. And, and as Martin Luther reached those stairs, they say that he got on his hands and knees, and every single step, he cried out to God for grace, cried out to God for mercy, kissing every step, crawling up step by step by step by step. And when he made it to the top, guess how he felt? More hopeless and condemned than ever before. You see, he thought it was in the good works that he could do that would make him a follower of Jesus, that would actually give him life with Jesus. It wasn't until he began reading the book to the Romans, it wasn't until he got to this passage, the beautiful language that Paul writes that the righteous shall live. By faith. And that alone caused Martin Luther to break down in tears. And that alone caused him to write 95 grievances against the Catholic Church. Bring it to the door. Nail it to the door of the Catholic Church on October 31st, 1517. Seeking just to have a debate with them trying to help them to understand it's not by what you do, it's about what Jesus has done, and through that a revolution and a reformation was started. And now, 500 years later, we are in a Lutheran church building proclaiming the same message that Martin Luther came to grips with this morning. And we're proclaiming, and we're seeing, and we want to understand this message, because church, there's a lot of messages that you could hear today, but this is the only message that can bring eternal life. There are a lot of things that you can watch. There are a lot of things that you can look at, and they all promise, and none of them deliver. This is the only message that delivers now and delivers for all of eternity. It's the message of Jesus Christ. And the message that we're going to read this morning is that God provides power for the powerless. My guess is if you're in here this morning, you have felt at times, maybe today, maybe this week, maybe this past month, maybe this past year, you have felt powerless. And what we're going to see is that God has amazing power for those who actually admit that they're powerless. You see, those who think that they're powerful will never go and cling to this powerful message. And so we must come humble, ready to receive the message of Jesus Christ. And so with that, let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. And as we do, would you stand with me as we read? Uh, We do this because this is God's word. You need to hear from God. This morning, not from mere mortal man like myself. Romans chapter one, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the pew back in front of you. Romans is about 85% of the way through your Bible. Romans one, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may Be seated. So we are in the book of Romans because we have a massive important question that we must answer, and that question is, what is God like? What is God like? Because our world is constantly uh, recognizing that there's something broken in us, and we want to figure out what the solution to that brokenness is, and whatever solution you submit yourself to is your God. So we want to know what the real God is. It, it, it's like having your car, you know, I think you probably have had bad experiences with mechanics, right? You know, I, I've worked in a repair shop. I, I, I've been to other repair shops. I know you got bad experiences with mechanics and you got good experiences with mechanics, Right? And so you can take your car to the the one that promises to fix and it just leaves your car more broken and you more broke or you can bring it to the right mechanic who you're praising and, and telling everybody go to him or her, right? And so this morning the world is telling us there's a lot of mechanics to fix our brokenness but the reality is there's only one true mechanic that can actually put us back together. And so we're going through Romans to find and to understand that one true mechanic who has revealed himself as Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we uh, get another glimpse of this mechanic, we've already seen that, that this mechanic has a plan. His plan is for all of eternity. It's not a different plan in the first part of the Bible versus the second part of the Bible. We saw that he has a will, that although he has a plan, that there's a will that, that if we follow that will, we could experience deeper life and joy in that. And now this morning, we're going to see that he has power, a power that we need to base our entire lives upon. And this morning, we're going to see five truths to that power. So let's go ahead and look at these truths. The first truth is that God provides power for salvation think about that for a moment all of us need some sort of rescue all of us know in some ways that we are broken that something is off and yet we hate to admit that don't we I mean, I mean, we, we recognize that next week we will get into the reality of how broken we are, that we have been, that as we were born, we were born with a sinful nature. And parents, you know this, right? I mean, my two-year-old, I mean, he couldn't even talk, but he knew, don't touch the light socket, and he also knew if I touch it, call your name, clap, he thought it was funny right? I mean, even the cutest little kids know how to disobey. So we have this sinful nature, and yet the reality is, is that it is, uh, we often run other places rather than to Jesus Christ. Now, notice what Paul says here in verse uh, 16. Actually, go back to verse 15. He says that he is eager to preach the gospel, why is he eager? Because Paul has experienced life change. The author of this book was a man on his way to Damascus with papers to bind and kill Christians when the God of the universe through Jesus Christ revealed himself to Paul, knocked him off his high horse Blinded him by the light, if any of the 80s songs come back to mind, right? He blinded him by the light and then said, why are you persecuting me? And In that moment, transformed Paul's life to be the man who actually started much of the churches across the Roman Empire. And now Paul is writing to this church saying, hey, I want to come to you because I want you to support me so I can go to Spain because my work in the East is done. I'm going to the West Coast. They're heathens and I want to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And so he's saying he's eager because he's experienced that kind of change. Have have you experienced that change? When it comes to the good news of Jesus, are you eager to proclaim it because you know deep down in your bones without that message, there's no hope? But notice his eagerness his eagerness leads him to say in verse 16 that he's not ashamed of the gospel. Now, why would Paul be ashamed of the gospel? Now, think about what this message says. This message says that there's a God who's out there that we cannot see. It's pretty hard for us to believe at times, right? And then he says that we have a problem that we are rebellious, and the result of that rebellion is an eternity in hell. That's a struggle for us, right? Because all of us think that we're pretty good people. And Paul's saying we're not. And then he has the audacity to say that the hope of eternal life is by following, as Isaiah 53 tells us, a man who has no appearance that would be honored a man who's ugly, a man who is not the prize king walking in, a man of grief, a man of sorrow, to follow that kind of man of whom he walked and lived on this earth 33 years, having 12 men follow him. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus is this Middle Eastern dude having 12 people follow him and the backdrop is the most massive uh, empire the world has ever known, the Roman Empire that lasts for 1,500 years. I mean, you can hop on a plane to Rome and still walk around things that they built 2,000 years ago. And this Middle Eastern dude from an obscure town who does not look the part of a king, who has a group of 12 ragtag people following him around, who says, I am the king, and instead of rushing to Rome and removing the Roman authority, actually dies at their hands while his 12 followers desert him, leaving him to be leaving him to experience the wrath of the Romans. That's crazy, right? Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians that this is a stumbling block to the Romans who desire power, and it looks like foolishness to the Greeks who love wisdom, because this just doesn't make sense. That you're going to proclaim and risk your life upon a man who died at the hands of this massively glorious empire. I mean, think about today that would be something worthy to be ashamed of, let alone 2,000 years ago. And Paul says that he's not ashamed. Now, why is that? He says he's not ashamed because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Church, that is an amazing statement of Paul. That he looks at it and he says, The gospel is the power of God. It is the only thing that actually can rescue you and I out of our slavery to sin and give us life with God forever. Nothing else works. And we know this, right? I mean, we, we try to find salvation in other things, right? I mean, every election year it feels like. Our salvation is in our politician, right? How's that working? I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. How's that working? It's not, right? I mean, I feel like every time I turn on the news, all I see is not salvation. I see the the sinfulness of humanity displayed in front of me. Or some of us just think like, man, if I just have a little bit more money, then life will be easier. You know the old adage, right? More money, more problems. Man, when I was 22, I didn't have much money. Life was a lot simpler. I didn't have little ones to feed. I didn't have a house to take care of. Something broke, I called the maintenance guy. He took care of it. Like, just life was simpler with less money. And so we know that the things of the world just do not seem to work. They don't give us this power that we're needing. And yet, Paul saw and experienced massive power. Have you ever experienced incredible power before? I remember when I was four years old, uh, the Loma Prieta earthquake had gone on in nineteen. 89 I'm not sure how many people remember that. If you are watching the World Series that year, you would remember it because I think it was the Giants players were, were out there and the ground started shifting. I remember being four and being at my dad's work and seeing a car move back and forth with a battery charger, move back and forth, look at it, terrified because I knew I needed to stop it, but I didn't have a clue what to do. It was an immense amount of power that I was just... Didn't know what to do. And in his last, that image has burned into my mind 30 some years later. You see, power, when you see that kind of power, it stays with you. It changes you. It affects you. And Paul has seen a greater power than that single earthquake I experienced. He saw an earth-shattering power that has changed the course of history when Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. You say now that power is offered. It's offered to us. Church, do you struggle? Do you struggle remembering that power? I wonder how often you go throughout your week struggling to remember that God has power that's offered for us. One of my hopes and dreams is that we might be a church that would remind each other regularly of this power. You know how we can do that? The first thing we can do is just talk about what God's doing in our life. Like when we get together, if we just talk about what Jesus is doing in our life, that encourages each other to say, wow, God is actually working. That's why there's a buzz and energy when you go to a concert versus watching the YouTube video, right? There's something that we are created to be relational beings and when we are together, there's a a buzz and an energy that actually reminds us of how good this thing is that we're watching and Paul would remind us and I'm reminding you that that when we gather, when we sing our praises, when we tell of stories of what God has done, that is a, a buzz to remind us that God is good, that he's actually at work. But did you see how Paul clarifies how this work is happening, or, or who, rather, this work is happening to? He shows two groups of people. Let's look at our second, th- our second truth this morning, and that is that God provides life-changing power for the self-righteous. You see, self-righteous, uh, they're, they're the kind of people, uh, I won't do a show of hands, but maybe in your heart, they're the kind of people that, f- that have never found a rule that they don't try to master. <laughs> you hear a rule and immediately you're like, got to obey that. Here's the 10 steps I'm going to do to obey it. And then they look at everybody else and they think, how can it be that you can't obey this? They begin to compare themselves to others. They begin to look down upon others. They begin to think, wow, look at me. I'm obeying you. Like, give me a break. This is easy. Why can't you do that? If I'm honest, that, that tends to be the camp that I fall in. The self righteous that thinks that they have life all together, that thinks in some senses that life is this kind of race, if you will, and that, that Jesus is only gonna take the top three runners to the next round. When the reality is is we are probably in the bottom three. You ever thought about that before? So often we, we kind of puff ourselves up thinking that we're better than everybody else, thinking that, that we've got life all together when in reality is if we would just pause for a moment and just begin to probe our hearts, we would realize just how sinful and wicked we really are. Don't believe me? After church, come up to me. I, I'll take all, I've got something after church, but I'll take all the time in the world. Share with me every single thing that you've done this past week. Everything you've thought, done, or acted. And I'll type it up and we'll put it up on the screen next week. My guess is nobody's feeling too comfortable right now, right? Because we all know that we have failed. And yet notice what Paul says here. He says he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone. And then he clarifies that everyone. And he says, to the Jew first. Now, who are the Jews? If you go back to the book of Genesis, you'll see that God chose in Genesis 12, he chose a man named Abram, and he gave him three promises. He said, I want to make your name great. I'm going to make your offspring as great as the stars in the sky. And I'm going to give you a land of blessing. And that offspring becomes the Israelite people who become the Jewish people. And they are the ones who receive the law of God. They are the ones who are set apart to live under God's rule. They are the ones who have the actual scriptures, the, the, the Old Testament scriptures spoken by God to them. They are the ones who think like they've got life all together as we're going to see in the coming weeks, they're the ones who kind of puff themselves up thinking that that they, they know how to live life and they're here to tell you how to live life. But did you notice what Paul just said? Salvation is for them too. Get what he's saying here. He is saying it doesn't matter how much you think you do well. It doesn't matter where you believe that you rank. It matters that you are still sinful. And instead of basing your standard horizontally on what other people say, you need to base your standard vertically on what God says. And all of us fail that standard. In Romans 3, he's going to say, No one is righteous. No, not one. In case your name, uh, you think your name has an asterisk in the Bible, I've studied that passage all week. I've not found any of our names as an asterisk next to no one, that no one except this person. All of us. And yet Paul says it doesn't matter how self-righteous you are, the gospel is offered to you and I. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? We always kind of focus on, on the, the son. It's a story from uh, the younger son. It's a story from Luke 15. Jesus tells this parable that there's these two boys, the older and the younger. Younger goes to his dad and says, hey, hey, dad, uh, can I get my inheritance? Which is another way of saying, can you die so I can get your money? Dad says, okay, here you go. He goes, he leaves home, he lives it up. He gets into all of the world's promises. And at the end, he's left broke and broken. Longing. Longing to simply eat what the pigs at his dad's house eats. So he gets this idea, man, if I just go back to my dad... If I just go back to my dad, man, then maybe he can just hire me like a normal servant, and at least that life is better than here. Do you remember what happens? As he's coming back to see his dad, his dad sees him off in the distance. And in those days, they'd wear these massive cloaks, and his dad sees him, hikes up his cloak, runs after him, and hugs him. And says, my son who is dead is now alive. Go get the best calf. Kill it. We're going to have a party. Do you remember what the older brother does? He stays outside and I'm not going in. This is garbage. This whole time I've worked for you. This whole time I've done exactly what you've asked me to do. And you never threw me a party, but you throw him a party. Talk about self righteous you remember what the dad says? He goes out to the older son and he just says, Man, this whole time, everything I had was yours. All the cattle, all the food, everything that you can see has always been yours. But your brother, he was dead and now he's alive. Come celebrate. You see, so often as self-righteous people we can lose sight on the fact that if we have a faith in Jesus Christ yes, it's good to obey but it's not our obedience that gets God it's the obedience that, that allows us to enjoy God and enjoy all that God has for us. And so for those of us who are self-righteous, we need the gospel just as much. We need to be reminded that the Father is inviting us in to celebrate, to just enjoy, to stop creating lists and just be with the Father and enjoy Him. You know how you can do that? By praying. If you're like me, prayer feels like the most unproductive, inefficient, listy, non-listy thing that you can do. And yet it's in prayer that we can just be at the feet of Jesus and enjoy Him. But then Paul says that this this gospel is not just for those of us who are self-righteous. He shows us a third thing. God provides life-changing power For the unrighteous. The unrighteous are those of us in this room who who look at rules as suggestions. Like, yeah, I know that that's what, I know the speed limit's 55, but they won't really pull me over until I go like 65, so that's just a suggestion. You know, we're, we're trying to constantly scheme ways to get around rules. But let me ask you, How does that work? Because my guess is that's exhausting because eventually you're going to kind of read rules one way and somebody else is going to read rules a different way and the two of you are going to clash and there's going to be absolutely no clarity on which direction to choose and so life will no longer be peaceful, right? yet Paul says even those of us who think life is found in getting rid of the rules, that salvation comes to them as well. Notice at the end of verse 16, he says that the salvation is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now who are the Greeks? There's like two camps of the Greeks. There were the philosophers who thought that they were so much smarter than everybody else and they're better than the rest of the world. And yet they lived however they wanted. They lived based on their own desires and passions. And then you have the heathens, those who who were incredibly godless, just kind of made up rules, made up life as they went. They, They wanted to do whatever it is that they could do to find joy and satisfaction. And so often the way the Jews interacted with the Greeks was that they were the outcasts. They, they could not interact with the Greeks. They could not have dinner with the Greeks. They could not really be in any sort of relationship with the Greeks because the Greeks were the outcasts. And I've lived here long enough to, to know that many of us feel like we're outcasts, don't we? I, I've lived here long enough to know that even in our valley, if you call Sunbury your home, you might feel like an outcast. Oftentimes we're the butt of jokes. Oftentimes people look down upon us. But notice what Paul just said. That this salvation is not to just those who look better. Those who can pretend like they are better. It is for those who are the outcasts, those who feel like they have nothing to offer, those who come to God with nothing in hand, those who are are terrified in life, those who feel like there's so many barriers and obstacles to having this relationship with God, and yet Paul says that this salvation is offered to them. And he's going to tell us later in chapter 8 that there is neither height nor depth nor, let me get this straight, neither height nor depth nor things present nor powers to come, nothing in all of creation that will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So church, if you feel this morning that you're just like, man, this week has has just kind of separated me from God, this week has made me too far on the outside and I need to clean myself up. I need to get some, um, some holy soap, if you will, and try to scrub myself down so I can become presentable to God. Paul says, no, there's salvation for you as well. There's salvation because Jesus Christ died knowing, as he was on the cross, knowing that he would pay the sins of all of those who would believe in him. I mean, do you remember what Jesus says on the cross? I mean, the very people, if you could rank sins, I'm pretty sure that like killing Jesus, like literally Nails in his hands and his feet. Like, that should probably rank in the top five as, like, worst sins in the world, right? And as Jesus is hanging there, do you remember what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The compassion, the mercy. And yet, as he dies, they take a spear and they shove it up his side and water and blood flow out. The blood of Jesus that's now spilt to cover our sin so that you and I might have this relationship with the Father. So church, it doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. You don't need more self-esteem. You need more Jesus. Jesus. he's offering himself to us this morning we don't need to keep trying you know i think so often many of us feel down because we look at our life and we just we keep trying we keep trying we keep trying we keep trying it just does not work out the way we want it to and so then we get to the point where we say why even try and yet jesus tells us in john 16 that it is good for him to leave do you know why Because if he leaves, he sends a helper to be with us. And the disciples are like, oh no, this is not good that you're going to leave. And Jesus is like, time out, time out. Yeah, it's good to have me as your Savior right next to you, but it's better to have my Spirit in you. Church, do you realize that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have power in you. You can actually obey. You can actually follow God. Not because of you, but because his power is in you. And Paul says that is offered to all of us. And then he shows us how. Number four, he shows us that God provides life-changing power for true righteousness. That the, the problem is you and I need to be righteous. Righteous is just this idea that there's a standard and we must meet that standard and yet we don't. Do you know what that standard is? Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Anybody feel like in this moment that I've got that taken care of? Because if you do, stand up, I'll go sit down because I want to hear from you. We don't, right? None of us are perfect. And we need this righteousness. Look at what Paul says. Verse 17. For in it, this is the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. See, in Jesus dying, in him rising, the righteousness of God is actually revealed. How does that take place? There's two two ways that Paul shows us. If you are in your Bible, turn a couple pages over to chapter 3. We're going to see this in a couple months. Chapter 3, Paul tells us how one of the ways this righteousness gets applied to us. Notice what he says in chapter 3, verse 23. He kind of lays it all out. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace. So we're made right, justified, by his grace. It's a gift that we don't deserve. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption where we're being bought out and given new life. Verse 25 How does this take place? Because God put forward Jesus as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. What's propitiation? It's this averting of the wrath of God. Parents, you know this, right? Your kids do something wrong. Maybe they do something terrible. My guess is most of us aren't sitting there thinking, That's fine, right? There's something that kind of wells up in you that's just like, "Shouldn't have done that." There's an anger that is good and right that says, "This is not okay." What you've done, you've broken my rule. You've broken my law. We love that, right? Because the moment someone hurts our family is the moment we're calling the cops. We're taking care of business. And we're making sure that the judge and the jury lock them up. And the judge and the jury, God, has seen our lives and say that we should be locked up. And yet, Jesus enters in and by his blood being shed on the cross, actually adverts God's wrath. Takes it all on him. So we get none of it if we trust in Jesus. Do you see how beautiful that is? I don't want us to be churchy people. Oh, I know that. This is amazing church. We don't deserve any of this. To the point that Paul would say that this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. He saw sin, he passed over it, because he wants to give us this grace and offer this grace to us, this opportunity for God's wrath to be put on Jesus rather than us. Paul sums it up way clearer in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, he, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. That when Jesus dies, there's this great exchange. I bring all of my junk. You know, all the stuff that you put out at the community aid box that you don't want anymore, all that's broken and stuff? We bring all of that to Jesus. And boom, new life. Made right with God. I I don't know about you, but I've got decent cars, but if there's some car dealership out there where I could like turn my car in and get a Ferrari, like just that, I would do that. How much greater that we bring our junk to Jesus and he gives us his righteousness so that we can be accepted by the Father. But how does this take place? Look at verse 17 again. This takes place from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that's the last thing Paul shows us this morning. That God provides life-changing power for those who live by faith. Church, you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. There's nothing I can do that can bring uh, Jesus to want me, to accept me, to to, uh, give me life with him forever. It's interesting. Did you see how Paul said that? It is from faith for faith. David Peterson in his commentary says that what Paul's getting at is that a relationship with God has always been by faith. You know, so often we read the first part of the Bible and we think, oh, God's just like some curmudgeon who's got all these rules and is cranky all the time and, you know, just kind of woke up on the wrong side of the bed. No, go back to the Exodus story. The people of God are in slavery for 400 years. They do nothing when God shows up on the scene, rescues them out, and then declares to them before he gives any law, declares to them and says, you're my people, I'm your God. Better or worse, I'm with you. Right? I mean, guys, you know how this feels when your wife said yes? You're like, oh my, I know me, I know you, you want to be with me? You want to take my name? You want to be, uh, have a family with me? Like, whoa. That's what God did. It's always been about faith. And then he says that the righteous shall live by faith. Paul tells us in, in Romans 4 that even Abram, who, who had this relationship with God before the law came into being, before any rules he could have this relationship because of faith in God. That it's not what we bring to the table. It's not our best efforts at obedience. It's not the ways in which we can somehow have enough checked boxes in life. I've gone to church enough. I've read my Bible enough. I've prayed enough, I've I've shepherded my family enough, I've given enough. All of those are wonderful and amazing things, but all of those flow out of what God has done for us, where he's paid it all. You know that beautiful song? Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Church, that is offered to us this morning. It's almost as if Paul is coming to us and saying, lay down your attempts at work. Lay down your attempts at obedience. Lay down the anxious feelings that you have of trying to be somebody. Just lay that down. And Come. You know, so often I think a lot of the trouble in our lives come because too often we walk by sight. And the Bible would call us to walk by faith. To just have faith in Jesus. To trust that his death is enough. His resurrection is enough. There's nothing more that we can add that he brings the power to the battle. So this morning, again, I don't know how you came in here, but as you think about your life, whose power are you trusting in? Whose power are you resting in whose power do you constantly run back to your your weak feeble power or the power of the mighty God displayed through Jesus Christ not just in his death Not just in his resurrection, not just in his ascension to heaven, not just in his session to sit at the right hand of God, but actually in his return where Philippians tells us there will be a day when every knee in heaven and on earth and below the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Is he your Lord? Is he your power? Or are you trying to be Lord and powerful for your own life? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We are amazed by the power of Jesus. We're amazed that, that you would invite us in, that, that some of us come in just self-righteous, that we've got everything together. And yet there's this pit in us that knows it's not working. There's others of us who come in here saying it doesn't matter about the rules. I'll do what I want. I'll live how I want. And yet we, we say that because we know deep down inside it matters how we live. So Father, this morning it is so easy for us to live life in our power, live life in our attempts of righteousness. I just pray Help us to lay that aside and to rest in your righteousness, to receive your power for our life, and then to live out of that power this week as we parent, as we go to work, as we think about our money. God, that we would no longer walk by sights. God, I don't want us to be a sight people. I want us to be a faith people, boldly taking steps beyond what we could imagine. So, Father, help us. We pray in your Son's precious name. Amen.